All right, let me welcome everybody that's tuned in. We've got a wonderful group. In fact, I know the team from uh, Cambodia and Vietnam and other places around the world faithfully watch uh, our services. I know we've got some new friends in Zambia that we're birthing that work. We say hi to our friends in Zambia and anybody else who's watching us online today. Thank you for tuning in. It's always a privilege that you would be with us. I want you to get your Bibles out or you can just look on the screen, but preferably follow with me here. I want to read from Proverbs chapter 27 verse 9, because it really lays the foundation of why we're doing this series on life-giving relationships. It says this, sweet friendships refresh the soul, and they awaken our hearts with joy. For good friends are like the anointing that yields the fragrant incense of God's presence. I love the way the Passion Translation renders that verse. Sweet friendships refresh the soul, awaken joy in our hearts, and they bring the presence of God. How many of you know, we drove this point home. Every single thing we do in life is about relationships. And the richer you are, it doesn't have anything to do with your bank account. It has everything to do with your friendship account. Can anybody say amen to that one? In fact, some of the most miserable people are people that have spent their life changing, chasing things and missing out on what matters. What matters is people. Jesus died for people. Jesus shed his blood for people. Things don't matter. People matter. And so I just want to remind us that we were made for a relationship. Every one of us in this room, and I don't know if you saw this, but I, I, I like to get all of my news in one place. I hope you're not watching the evening news and, and getting absolutely poisoned to hate America hate our leadership, hate everything, uh, and watching all that, because that'll make a mess out of you. I like to get my news in just one place. I go to the Drudge Report. It's got all all the latest headlines, and I take a few moments, and I pretty much keep up to date on what's going on. This was one of the main articles on the Drudge Report. I believe it was yesterday. It was a massive study that was done, thousands of people, longitudinal study, and this is what it was on. It was on healthy, life-giving relationships, And this is what they found. If you are a person who is involved in healthy relationships, your your life is surrounded by healthy, life-giving relationships, on the average, you're going to live seven years longer. I want you to think about it. So why is this this series important? Because we would like to keep you around longer. Think about it. If you're in a situation, some of you, you know, uh, last Sunday, didn't Ronnie do a great job? Some of you were saying, man, you, uh, you had to be proud of your son. I was proud of my son. Did a great job. But I had a number of people that came up for prayer afterwards, and they, they said, you know, Pastor, that message was really hard. And the reason it was hard is because a lot of you are involved in relationships that are not life-giving. Um, they're painful. Uh, in this particular person's situation, Uh, She had a mother who has been a heroin addict for a long time. And she said, you know what? It is so painful. I don't know how to apply unconditional love to my mom because every time I try to love her, all I get back is pain. Now, how many of you know that's about as real as it gets? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you have been in marriages, pain, 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 pain. And you're like, man, how do you live this verse? How How do you love God in that way? I've heard it people say, and I believe incorrectly, that God would never command us to do something that we can't do. Well, let me just tell you, God, I believe just the opposite. God constantly commands us to do things we have no hope of ever accomplishing if it's not for his power and for his strength. Yes. And, and, and let me just tell you, and why does God command you to do that? 
because it's all about relationship, and he realizes if he, could, if he just tells you, go do this, and you just go do it, then you've just gone on doing your little religious thing, and you've been absolutely separated from the relationship that God intends. You know why he tells us to love people that are hard to love? Because we can't do it, and because we have to continually come into his presence and say, Father, help me. And you know what happens when we say, Father, help me? We encounter God in fresh ways, and we learn things about us, and we learn things about him that we would never have learned before. But I'm just telling you, relationships matter because they add years to your life. Why does going to marriage class matter? Because if your marriage is sucking life out of you, it's actually taking physical years off of your life. And we would like you to be around longer because that relationship's life-giving instead of destructive. Does that make sense? Why do we encourage you to go to life groups or CR or to the encounter? Because we realize that if you never get your heart healed, first of all, from from devastating relationships in the past, and if you never learn how to surround yourself with a network of life-giving relationships, you're literally going to go home to be with Jesus sooner. At least that's what the studies show. Now, we all know living with great relationships around us is sure a lot more fun than not. Now, that was profound, wasn't it? I should have got an amen. I mean, pleasurable relationships are sure a lot more fun than relationships that kill you. Did everybody understand that point? I know it's complicated. Now, here's the point. I don't want to be a relationship killer. I want to be a relationship life giver. How about you? Now, let me... Okay, pastor, what do you mean by that? What I mean is when you're around me, I want you to be elevated. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be strengthened. I don't want to suck the life out of you. (laughs) Okay. Is anybody in agreement with me this morning? (laughs) Brian, I need some help, bro. I I need some help. David, turn up the heat. Let's go. This place should be a place where people come alive. And they don't come alive because there's magic fairy dust floating through the air. They come alive because they're with you. Because they're around you. Because they come in contact with you. Because they spend time with people here. We come alive. In fact, look at what this verse says. Sweet friendships refresh our souls. Mm. Have you ever been around good friends and you leave and you're like, ah, that was so refreshing. Or have you been around people that you feel like you just jumped in a sewer? (laughs) Don't amen that too loud. No, but you know what I'm talking about. If If you're around negative backbiting, gossiping, murmuring people. You leave and you feel like someone just threw you in the sewer. But when you're around godly people who love you and who are positive and uplifting and encouraging and life-giving, you're like, "Ah, I feel like I just took a spiritual bath. Are you with me? I want to be the latter, not the former. How about you? I want this place to be a place where people come alive like a greenhouse where God's presence is so powerful. Look at what happens next. Our hearts are awakened with joy. I was sharing, you know, some things just, I've gotten into a habit uh, after 54 years. Habits are hard to break. And I have found this. This is not a habit. This is just a truth. When you experience joy, true joy, you cannot keep it to yourself. In fact, joy is multiplied when it is shared. Now, I've got a number of children who have played sports, some that are musicians and whatever, but whenever my kids are doing something, my habit has been to pick up the phone 
because my father was a football coach and a coached everything that had to do with sports. And, and my go-to, as soon as one of my kids does anything uh, that sports-related, I grab my phone because I'm going to give my dad an update. I can't tell you how many times I have grabbed that phone and gone, <clears throat> but here's the point. We should be calling and sharing and spreading the joy and texting and, and sending notes and sending emails and whatever the means we have to communicate how much we love one another and how much joy we have in sharing whatever it is we share in common with each other. That's what, that's what joy does. And when you're around a network of people who love you and have certain things in common, you cannot keep it to yourself. This also, by the way, is the secret of evangelism. It's just when joy is in your heart, his name's Jesus, you want to tell people about Jesus and you want to share the good news about what he's done in your life. But look at the last thing about friendships. Good friends are like anointing oil that yields a fragrant incense of God's presence. This is powerful. Do you realize that the only way people are going to experience the presence of God is by being in the presence of people who carry the presence of God? And I have been around people that are lovers of Jesus, and what is especially refreshing is when I'm in the presence of people that know God, there's a sense when you walk away that you have been with God himself. Um, and I have been, I've had friends that are that way. When I'm with them, they always challenge me to love God more, to love him more passionately, uh, to, to be a better dad, to be a better husband, whatever it is. Whenever you're around people that know God, they elevate you. And when you're around a corporate expression of God's people, how many of you know you sense the tangible sense of God's presence because God dwells in the midst of his people. And when life-giving relationships are happening, whether they're life groups or celebrate recovery groups or corporate worship or children's ministry or youth ministry, when godly people get together, there's a tangible sense that we've just been in the presence of God and the anointing of his presence comes over us. Anybody hear what I'm talking about today? This, this is what we're after. We carry inside of us the life-giving power of Jesus Christ, to resurrect dead things, to heal dead relationships. This is who we are. And so last week, Ronnie challenged us to love unconditionally and uh, to be the type of people, in fact, I'll say this, the, the type of friends you have are, is largely due to the type of friend that you are. Many times we look around and I hear people say this, well, you know, I, I went to that church and I didn't think they were all that loving. Well, let me just tell you what probably happened. You did nothing to engage with anybody. You didn't encourage anybody. You didn't reach out to anybody. And you wondered why you reaped exactly what you sowed. You know, people that are lovers of Jesus and lovers of other people as a byproduct have great friendships and great relationships. This is not rocket science. And so we need to learn to release the unconditional love of God. But unconditional love, this is the reality of it, unconditional love is challenging and it's painful. I heard Bob Goff recently say this, and I thought it was so good. It's easy to agree with what Jesus said. Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But what's actually hard is doing what Jesus did. (laughs) That could never be more true than in the area of unconditional love. Anybody that left last week going, yeah, Um, you didn't get the message. (laughs) We were just challenged to do one of the hardest things that fallen human beings ever get the privilege of doing, and that's learning to get outside of ourselves and love people with no expectation and love people who uh, are not going to give anything back to us, most likely. 
And so if I want life-giving relationships, I need to become a life-giver myself. I need to be able to love people. Life-giving relationships don't just happen. And here's my point for today's message. Life-giving relationships require life-giving choices. And I'm going to provoke you today with some life-giving choices. All along this journey called life, there are forks in the road. And I'm going to talk to you about four major forks. And at those forks, you have to make a choice. I have to make a choice. If we make the wrong choice, we cut off life-giving relationships. If we make the right choice, we end up opening our whole world to a whole new realm of relationships that are really awesome. So here's the first question that I, I want to ask you. Choice number one, are you going to go through life alone? Or are you going to go through life with others? Are you going to be isolated? Are you going to be connected? Are you going to make some inner vows? And some of you have done this before. You're like, you know what, Pastor? I've been hurt before. Some of you have church wounds. Don't raise your hand. Some of you have church wounds. Some of you have wounds because you've been in a life group before and somebody said something or hurt you. Some of you have just been through life and you've been hurt. Maybe it was your family that, that you were raised in and you've dealt with enough hurt, enough drama. You're tired of the mess. And so some of you just said, look, I've even had somebody tell me this before. They said, look, Pastor, I don't want to get involved in anything. I don't want to be a part of any life groups. I don't want to do any ministry. I just want to come here on Sunday and I want to go home. I appreciated their honesty. I hope that's none of you. Because the sad truth of the, of the matter is that person, because of an inner vow that they made and a ch- bad choice that they're making, is literally shutting off all the opportunity that God's put around them, not, o- not only for great joy, but for great blessing in their lives. I'm just telling you, these are choices people constantly make. I don't want to be hurt anymore. Or how about this one? I'm just too busy, Pastor. Let me just tell you, if you're too busy for your wife, for your spouse, your marriage is is set up for destruction. If you're too busy for your kids, guess what? You're going to have a broken, estranged family. If you're too busy for this family, let me just tell you what. You're going to end up missing out on the great blessing of God. I shared this morning, you know, we're living in a, in a digital age. You can listen to some great preachers on, on uh, podcasts, on, on the internet, on television. You can hear, you got all kinds of opportunities to be fed. And I encourage you to take advantage of that. But let me tell you a profound truth. Joel Osteen will not do your funeral. <laughs> and... Uh, That was not a criticism of Joel Osteen. That is a criticism of people who neglect the opportunity and the privilege that God has given them to be connected relationally. Because listen, there's no, you, you can have a pretend relationship with Jesus digitally uh, in the privacy of your room. I say it's pretend because you'll never know the depth of your relationship with God until you get around fallen people who are broken and needy. That's when your spirituality truly manifests. And so I'm just telling you, if some of you have made that choice, you know, I'm just going to go alone. I'm telling you, it's a horrible choice. When you choose to go alone, you set yourself up. You, you, you make yourself incredibly vulnerable to the enemy. Listen to what God's Word says. Proverbs 17, verse 17. A friend is always loyal. I think the King James says a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born to help in a time of need. Can I just tell you that you are going to experience a time of need? Let me just drive home the point of the Lord. You are going to experience many times 
of great need over the course of your life because we're not home yet. This, is, this isn't heaven, okay? We're in enemy territory. We're in, a, we're in a fallen, broken planet. And if you have the false idea that you signed up for the love boat, I got news for you. This ain't the love boat. This is a battleship cruiser, cruiser that you're on, all right? A, a carrier. Uh, and here's the deal. We're going to go through life, and there's going to be amazing challenges that we face. The good news is a friend, not a Facebook friend, a friend is loyal at all times. Now, I want you to really think about this today. I'm asking you some questions. Don't raise your hand. You don't have to point to anybody. Um, Do you have friends in your life that have been with you through the best of times and through the worst of times? And if you had to sit down and make a list of the people that have been with you through the most adverse times of your life, how big would that list be? Because I'm telling you, fair-weather friends come and go. Jesus knew about this. So I think, well, Jesus, everybody loved Jesus. What Bible are you reading? Every time Jesus said something that ruffled somebody's feathers, half of his friends, you know, just got off of his Facebook posting page. You know, they're like, I'm no longer, unfriend him. He takes me off. All right. How many people do you have in your life that have been with you at the lowest times and been there to help you in your time of need? This is a measure of your riches. Your friends are a measure of your riches. And if you're choosing to go alone, it's been said if you go alone, you can go faster. But if you go with a team, if you go with some friends, you'll go farther. There's a lot of people that start off really fast in the body of Christ. Man, they're, they're shooting stars. And then they fall off the planet. They fall off the face of the earth. But there are some people that are long-distance runners, and I believe that part of the success to being, or the secret to being a long-distance runner is you surround yourself with people who love you just for who you are. They love you when you're on top of your game. They love you when you're not. But I'll just tell you this. Your best friends are those that have been with you at your worst times. Uh, and I'm just telling you, those people should be seated around you right now in a healthy church setting. Listen to what Ecclesiastes 4.12 says. I often use this in, in the context of a marriage ceremony, but... Listen to what it says. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer, and three are even better, for a triple braided cord cannot easily be broken. Isn't that a great promise? Why do you want to fight and go through this life alone when you can stand back to back with brothers and sisters who will stand with you like a braided cord, and when the enemy's trying to pull your life apart, your marriage apart, your family apart, your relationship with God apart, he's not going to win because you're not in this alone. You have knit yourself together in covenant relationship with other people who share your values and who love Jesus, and that's part of the strength. Part of the enemy's strategy is to pull us away and to get us by ourselves. Look at this next verse. I want to challenge you with this. If you haven't figured this out yet today, this is very much a practical, practical, practical message on relationships and how to have life-giving relationships and how to make some good choices. Look at Hebrews 10. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently and encourage and urge each other onward as we partic- or anticipate, rather, the day that is dawning. Let me just say, we're living in a culture today, in fact, I get, I get um, 
you know, different things sent to pastors about what's going on, trends in churches and all this, and maybe some of you have seen some of this, but they're saying, you know, people don't need to come together anymore for spiritual information or truth. They can get it a lot of different ways, and so pastors, you cannot expect people to be good church attenders anymore. Well, let me just tell you, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says some people develop this nasty habit of pulling away, of neglecting meeting together. Can I share something with you? This is not a religious exercise. Like you come in and put your time card in. Hey, God, I showed up at church, and if I can show up three out of four Sundays, that's a pretty good thing or whatever. This is not some checkbox thing. Listen to me. If you believe, as that verse says, why do we do this? Because we need each other. This is not like if I can fit it into my schedule. This is because whether you realize it or not, you need the body of Christ. And the time to find out that you need the body of Christ is not when you're in a crisis and have no connections. I cannot tell you the phone calls we get every week. Can you help me with my NIPSCO bill? Can you help me with this? Can you help us with this? And the one question we ask, who is your pastor? Up, 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 up. Who's your church family? Uh, 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 Now listen, we love to help people. Let me just make that clear. We love to help people. Everybody goes through a crisis. Everybody has a time when they can't make a bill. Sometime in life, most likely, that's just life. But what is the greater impoverishedness about their soul is the fact they're not connected anywhere. And if they were connected somewhere, there'd be lots of people who know what's going on and who know what they need and would be there to help them willingly, joyfully, because they're connected relationally. So I'm just telling you, don't develop a bad habit of not being connected with the body of Christ. Because God says don't do it. Look, at he says we should come together even more frequently. Why? What do you do when you come together? Encourage one another. Now listen, this is for somebody here today. When you come to church, and if you've had a, a horrible, horrible week, please find somebody to, and let them encourage you and pray with you, all right? Please. But don't be the person who the first thing out of your mouth every single Sunday when you get here is to find the first person that will listen to you, and you vomit out how miserable your life is. Let me just tell you what that's a recipe for. No friends. People see you, and they start running after cupcakes somewhere. They're going to go find, they're gonna go find the cupcakes. Why do we come together? So you can learn how to encourage somebody. Why do you need to learn how to encourage somebody? So you can have life-giving relationships. Why do you need life-giving relationships? So you can live seven years longer. (laughs) Come on, this is the truth. Am I being practical today or what? We encourage each other. And listen, we push each other onward. Everybody say onward. Come on, if you're in the ditch, the goal is not to camp out and build a house there. It's to get out, to move on, pull somebody else out of the ditch. This this place, I'm just telling you, we are going somewhere. We're moving somewhere. We're approaching the day that's dawning. We're talking about the second coming of Jesus. This is important. Be on task here. I've told you this over and over again. Don't come dragging in at the fourth song in worship just enough to sneak in. Pastor won't see me because he's up there with his eyes shut. Who cares whether I see you? Listen to me. I'm talking about, <laughs> I, I told you we are going to have, I'm talking about get here early. Why? Because your life depends on it. 
Why get here early? So you can go after making right relationships and getting to know people. Why? Because your life depends on it. Is this making sense? Well, pastor, I'm an introvert. Introverts need life-giving relationships. They just don't need as many. But introvert, you're like, oh, pastor, I can't go up to people. I'm an introvert. Just hang out there. Somebody will come up to you. Just stand there with smile with a cup of coffee. Somebody's going to hug you, I promise you. I mean, we're going to help you out. Some of you don't believe this. I'm an introvert. You're like, no, pastor. Yes. Yes. I'm an introvert. But I've blossomed over the years. (laughs) Hallelujah. There's hope for all of us. All right, I'm moving on. So here's your choice, alone or with others. I'm telling you, don't do it alone. You got a great army here to be a part of, a great family, a great body. Choice number two, here's a good one. Are you going to be counterfeit or are you going to be real? Are you a pretender, a poser, a hypocrite? Now let me just, I got to be honest with you here again. Every one of you, myself included, is incredibly messed up. In fact, turn to the person next to you right now. And I just want you to tell them. This is going to be a surprise to them, I'm sure. But just tell them this. I want you to know, I am not perfect. All right, just tell them that. Just tell them that. All right. Now, for, for some of you married couples, revival is now breaking out in your marriage right now. You're like, what did he say? What did she say? I've always found this to be true. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you because I'm just as guilty. But we serve a God who knows the hairs on our head. He knows us inside and out. He knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows our words before we say them. And we come into the presence of a holy God, but we're scared that the person next to us might know that we're not perfect. (laughs) That is insane. (laughs) And people come to church. In fact, let me just say this. What a tragedy we're seeing right now where the skirt of the church is being lifted up, so to speak, and this horrific sexual sin epidemic among leadership in the church uh, is being exposed. Let me just tell you, you know why we develop pockets of infection and disease and sin and habits in our lives? Because we leave them undetected because we're playing the hypocrite, the poser, the pretender, instead of realizing I messed up, but so is the whole planet. That's why we come to church. That's why Jesus came on the scene. In fact, you have to admit you're messed up to even join the club. So can you all just look at me and smile, and I'm going to say it, and say it together, I messed up. Just tell me that. I want to hear it from your words. I am too. I don't glow in the dark. I don't walk on water. Just ask my wife, all right? We're all in process. And one of the refreshing things about the true church of Jesus Christ, and I'll say that about living stones, as if you've been around here any length of time, you find that people are real. Some of you, I remember the first time you went to marriage class. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe it. (gasps) What freaked you out in marriage class? People were honest. Pastor, we're having trouble connecting sexually. (gasps) Did they say that in church? (laughs) Pastor, I have an anger problem. I yelled at my wife this week. I've been berating her with my words. (gasps) Did he just say he has an anger problem? Like you don't. 
What it does is it gives us the freedom to be real. And if you're real, you can get healed. And if you get healed, like, did anybody notice this? Whenever I listen to somebody preaching, I'm listening to the content of what they're saying, but I'm also listening to how they say what they're saying. You don't know what I'm talking about. You're like, you do, Pastor? I'm sorry. That's just who I am. That's how I roll. I was listening to my son last week. Great word. Great teaching from the word. But did you know when the anointing really hit in his message, there was a shift in the atmosphere. And I'll tell you when there was a shift. When he stood up in front of you, and confessed that he had fallen into a sin pattern and was addicted and desperate and felt like his life was ruined. And he said that in church and he was preaching. Because yeah, listen, people aren't looking to follow leaders who are perfect. They're looking to follow leaders who are real. And when you stand up or I stand up or we come to church and we act like we glow in the dark and we don't have any problems, nobody can relate to you. That's why, listen, please hear me. I believe in positive confession, but for God's sake, when someone comes up to you and says, hey, how are you doing? And you start going, hallelujah, praise the Lord, bless beyond measure, blah, 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 blah. You're, you're like a little parrot. Shut up. Someone's going to give you a cracker. Shut up. I didn't, ask if, I didn't ask if you were blessed beyond measure. I know you're blessed. I asked, how are you doing? Oh, well, I have had kind of a rough week. My marriage is struggling. I got a child that's living in rebellion. Ah, great. That's what we were after. Jesus died to help us with all that stuff. I'm not looking for a positive confession about how blessed you are. I know we're blessed. Hallelujah. But let's get real. Listen to what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Nice Jesus. (laughs) I love this. Matthew 23. You're hopeless. How's that for a good opening volley? You religion scholars and Pharisees, he called them frauds. You burnish the surface of your cups and your bowls. Oh, they sparkle in the sun while their insides are maggoty. Oh my gosh, did Jesus use that kind of language? Maggoty and your, with your greed and gluttony, stupid Pharisee. Scour the insides and then the gleaming surface will actually mean something. He goes on. This is the, his second closing, all right? Like, like me every week, his second closing. Oh, by the way, you're hopeless. He says it again. You religion scholars and Pharisees, you're frauds. You're like the manicured grave plots. The grass is all clipped. The flowers are bright. But six feet down, it's all rotting bones and worm-eating flesh. People look at you and they think you're saints, but beneath the skin... You're total frauds. Oh, gee. That's the guy we're following. I just, I just, thus saith Jesus. How many of you don't want to be a maggoty bowl on the inside? Jesus calling you a fraud. Well, Jesus wouldn't do that. He just did. All right, read your Bible. We, he wants us to be real. I'm telling you, a church that chooses to be real well, we have real problems. In fact, I'll just say, over the years, I've seen leaders that, that in this place, and whenever I've tried to go deep, hey, how are you really doing? What's going on? Oh, okay, great, great, great. Never share anything about themselves. Those are the most dangerous people to put around you. Because listen, authenticity is a godly quality. 
Vulnerability is a godly quality. Transparency is a godly quality. And if you hide it, it will eat you alive. That poison in you, whatever that sin is that's in you, if it is not exposed, it will destroy your life. It's just a matter of time. The devil will exploit you at the right moment and it's all over. We don't want that to happen. We want freedom. Anybody want freedom besides me? Freedom. The Bible says in Romans 12, 9, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Isn't that good? So let's not choose the counterfeit. Let's choose the real. Choice number three. Are you going to be someone that chooses the shortcut or are you going to be somebody who takes the long road? Are you looking for the easy way or the hard way? The path of least resistance or the path of God's will? How many of you have figured out that life-giving relationships require time and consistency? You will not experience a deep, life-giving relationship in a microwave kind of moment. Uh, That's not how they work. And another thing is, you'll never open up your heart to anybody that has not demonstrated consistently over time that they love you. Am I speaking the truth? How do you get into, how do you earn the right to speak into somebody's life? You love them. And you keep loving them. And you let them know how much you love them. Over and over and over and over again. I told you before, relationships are messy. If you want to have life-giving relationships, you're going to have to deal with mess. Relationships are costly. If you want a life-giving relationship, there's going to be an investment of your life, an investment of your heart, because they're costly. They're not cheap, but nothing valuable is cheap. And let me just say this. How many of us have been in relationships? I've been guilty of this as a pastor, and maybe some of you that are are ministry leaders, life group leaders. You know, there's certain people in your life, you're like, hello. You might not verbalize this, but you feel it in your heart. When are you going to get healed? Hurry up. When are you going to change? Some of you might have had these thoughts in your marriage. Hello, how many years do we have to go around the same mountain? Am I talking to the right crowd here this morning? Grow up, change, hurry, hurry, hurry. Let's all be like Jesus yesterday. Why do we have to keep waiting? Well, you have to wait because you have to make a choice to take the long road and not the short road. But the beauty of it is, if you're in a marriage right now that's struggling, if you'll be committed to Jesus and committed to love unconditionally, and you keep walking this thing out, you look back 10 years later and you go, you know what, something amazing has happened in this relationship because relationships take time. There's not probably a parent in this room that that didn't want to disown a child or two at a given moment. Uh, But you know what, we don't have the privilege of doing that or the opportunity to do that. So know what, you keep loving and you keep, well, they are my child and I'm going to keep loving them. They keep showing up at the dinner table, you keep feeding them. Uh, they, They keep showing up in their bedroom, you keep housing them. And then an amazing thing happens, like my daughter, bless her heart, Lauren. I couldn't get Lauren to do yard work if she tried. I would beg her. Hey, you and Daddy, we'll go get ice cream afterwards. Forget it. No, it wouldn't work. She's nine months pregnant. I'm walking to work early in the morning. Nine months pregnant. She's cutting the grass. Not because her husband wouldn't do it, because all of a sudden she's developed a passion for yard work. Are you kidding me? How did that happen? I've, I've seen it. Some of my kids, their, their rooms, I'm like, what happened in here? This is a disease. This is disgusting. This is not life-giving at all. And then they get married, and all of a sudden, they're neat freaks. I'm like, what in the world <laughs> happened? People will say, oh, that son of yours, he's such a servant. Who are you talking about? <laughs> the one that couldn't take the garbage out for 20 years of his life without threats on his life, constant reminder. Who are you talking about? But listen, when you love people over and over and over and over and over and over and you're consistent, 
Something happens over time. Jesus kicks in. Transformation happens. Come on, don't give up on people is what I'm trying to say. In this whole treatise on love, Paul says love is, and the very first thing out of his mouth is the word we hate so much. Love is patient. Oh, you got to be kidding me. i got to wait. i got to keep believing. And look what 1 Thessalonians 5 says. Love is patient with not the people who love me and who always are so excited to be around me. Love is patient with everyone. Oh, man, we are doing so good. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It always endures through every circumstance. And I love what Bob Goff says. He says we're all rough drafts of the people we're still becoming. Isn't that good? Don't look at your spouse as a final copy. Your spouse is a rough draft. Don't look at your kids, they finally arrived. No, they're rough drafts. Let me just tell you, I am the rough draft of the awesome pastor that hopefully will emerge someday. I'm the rough draft, all right? But you gotta love me and you gotta bear with me because I'm still in process too. But the beauty of it is, I've seen this, when people stay in relationship with each other over the long haul, we all get supersized together. We all get beautified together. That's the beauty of loving people to the end. And Jesus, again, set the example for us on that one. Let me wrap this up and go to the last point here today. Um, Final point. Point number four. Decision number four. Are you going to make the choice to be comfortable, or are you going to make the choice to stay in a continual process of change? Now, before you answer that, let me just say this. Every single one of us is programmed by our fallen nature and our selfishness to pursue comfort over change all day long. Can I get an amen on that one? In fact, listen, the only way God ever gets us to change is to force us to change. So you're like, why won't my husband change? Don't worry. If you put him in the hands of the Lord, God will change your husband. You don't have to, and you can't, but God can do it because God makes the changes. When we change when we are made to change. Look what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He writes him a letter, and he challenges the church. Paul says, I'm glad that I sent it, that it is this letter. It's a letter of correction. Notice what happened when the letter came. It hurt them. Paul wasn't glad that it hurt them, but this is what he was glad for. He says, I'm glad because of the, the, the pain caused you to repent and to change your ways. Now, we're living in a culture today that has been absolutely neutered from people speaking the truth about reality. You know, you can be whatever gender you want to be. You could be a toaster if you want to self-identify as a toaster, for God's sake. There's no, there's no in touch with reality around us. And the loving thing today is just let people create their own realities. But that's not what love is. We all need people in our lives who make us uncomfortable in a good way. Nobody needs a pain in the neck. Nobody needs a critic, nonstop critic. We don't need those people. But here's what we do need. We need people that will love us enough to give us the final 10%. Now, and I want you to think with me about this. How many people are in your life right now that you have given the permission to, and I say give the permission to, because there are certain people in your life, spiritual mothers or fathers, dear friends, covenant friends, there are certain people that that I'm modeling this for you. You need to be able to go up to them and say, say this, I know you love me, 
I know we're friends. I want to give you whenever the permission to tell me the final 10%. The final 10% to define that is the part that nobody really wants to say. Everybody, I could tell Chris, she could tell me the 90% of wonderful things about each other. But if Chris is going to go to the next level, or if I'm going to go to the next level, there's got to be somebody in my life that says, you know, Pastor, you really shouldn't have said it that way. Pastor, you seemed a bit harsh. Pastor, the way that you just reacted to your wife. Pastor, you know that relationship? You need to go back and, and you, you need to track that person down. You need to make sure that you extend forgiveness and make sure your heart's good. How many of you know when that happens, I have a choice that's made? Either I can be uncomfortable and receive that truth and know that it's true, or I can blow it off, get offended, and I'll go to the church down the street where no one's going to mess with my business. People do this all the time. In fact, I'm amazed. I'll just say this. I am amazed at how many people in the church, this is a sign of dysfunction, by the way. It's a sign of a heart that needs to be healed. How many people could be in relationship with other people for decades and over the tiniest little petty thing? Sometimes it is a minor little doctrinal nuance. And they're going to leave 20 years of life-giving relationships. I'm stunned. In fact, when that happens, I have a red flag that goes up because here's my red flag. I don't want to be in a covenant relationship with people that would throw away something so valuable so soon. Has somebody come one time and say, well, we're, we're, Pastor, we feel like we're, you know, and always it's a divine revelation, angelic visitation. You know, God said, um, we have to, we're going to leave the church. You're going to leave the church. Are you offended? Is something I said? Oh, no, no, we're good. We love everybody. Oh, awesome. We love God. Oh, awesome. Well, why are you going to leave the church? Well, because you don't have this specific ministry here. So I'm a wise pastor. I said, well, why don't you start it? Oh, well, yeah, I'm doing the Rolodex thing of the years that we have spent together loving Jesus and worshiping together. And I'm like, so, so I help people. Marlene, I help people. I said, let me summarize this. This is good basic counseling. So let me see if I understand what you're saying. You're leaving the church because we don't have a taco-making ministry to um, aliens from Mars. Wow. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? See, people will cut and run. They'll take the path of comfort over the path of growth. Uh, when, when you're challenged to do something about it, well, no, well, we, we don't want to do that. And, and they'll cut and run. Listen to me. Every time we do that, it, it, is, it should be a sign to you, I messed up. I won't deal with my hurts. I won't deal with my fears. I don't want to face the problem. I don't want to be honest. I don't want to, if there was an offense, I don't want to be honest about it. I would rather cut and run because cutting and running is the easy way out. But you're never going to have life-giving relationships if you keep acting like a two-year-old. We were made for change. Iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Proverbs 24, speaking honestly. Listen, speaking honestly is a sign of true friendship. Ah, how many of you have a giant size 12 on your behind? Because my father was the first pastor, first man in your life to actually say something to you that upset you, but you knew was true. 
I can't tell. I stood in this line. I stood right here for almost 10 hours, and I can't tell you how many men came through and said, man, your dad, (laughs) he was the first guy that told me the way it was, and I hated him for it until I realized that he was right, and then I loved him for it. You know, the Bible says it's better to have a wound from a friend than kisses from people who could care less about you. People who are full of flattery. People who will just tell you what you want to hear. Oh, you're wonderful. Yeah. And then behind your back, yeah. No, no, no. I would rather have somebody that loved me enough to tell me the truth. And I just want to ask you, here's another, I'm, I'm probing you. I'm provoking you. How many people in your life have the privilege and the honor of sharing their heart with you and being real and honest? I hope, I hope if you're married, one of those people is your spouse. I hope you really listen and say, please give me feedback. How am I doing? I hope that you've given dads, I hope you've humbled yourself to your kids and said to your kids, hey, help me be a better dad. Help me know how to minister. Help me be life-giving in my interactions with you because all my kids are different and I'm, I'm myself and I don't have it all figured out. I'll say this, our, our leadership team, our pastors and elders all have the ability, the freedom to speak into my life at any given time and I welcome it. You know why? Because I want to live long. You know why? I want to pastor successfully, and I want to have life-giving relationships. Now, I don't give that, pr- that privilege to everybody, and neither should you, but there should be people in your life that have demonstrated that they love you, and they're with you, and they're committed to you, that you can trust over time. So let me end. I'm going to end right now, p- p- quick, but I'm giving you some practical stuff. I'm going to provoke you. Some of you, even as I'm preaching this message, I'm like, you know, you need to be connected. You need to make some good choices. Some of you, this whole sermon, you'll be like, I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. You're just the person I'm talking about. I, I, I'm always talking about life groups again. I ain't joining a life group. I'd rather die than join a life group. Yeah, you're all going to die because you're not going to join a life group. You're going to die seven years earlier. You're going to die. Pastor, are you speaking a curse over my life? No, I'm not speaking a curse. I don't have to. You're already living that way. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Some of you are going to have a talk with me. I can see already. Amra's like, Pastor, we've got to have a talk. Listen to me. Will you make Sunday worship a habit? I heard this echo coming off the back wall. It sounded like my voice. Will you make the Lord's Day and corporate gathering for relationship building and sitting under the Word and connecting with God a habit? All right. Will you find ways to serve your brothers and sisters by being on a team? Because when you're on a team, you connect with people. And one of the best ways, let me just tell you this, one of the best ways men connect is not sitting around in somebody's living room with a Bible cracked open. One of the best ways men connect is by doing something together like serving. Now, I know Carrie, Carrie would love to have some guys that are handy say, bro, when can we get together and attack this campus? Because you know what? When you're swinging a hammer together, you're on a missions trip together, you're serving the parking lot together, you're making friendships that are really awesome. Somebody say, man, I wish I could be more connected. Let me, let me give you a secret. Serve. Serve. Will you get connected in a life group that are getting ready to start? And will you be vulnerable? You know, I had one guy tell me this. And I appreciate his honesty. He said, all I want to do is come to this church on Sunday, sit through the sermon, and go home. I mean, he just flat out told me that. 
I'm like, hey, this is what I told him. I'll take you where you're at. And if that's all you want to do, I'm believing that when you get into this presence and you're surrounded by these crazy Jesus-loving people, you're not going to be able to continue to stay there because that's the position of isolation and death. Come on. Be vulnerable and open up your heart and learn to let people in. That's the only way you get healed from hurts is to take a risk, make a choice. And lastly, some of you need to sign up for some of these discipleship groups because you need to go deeper. There's some classes we're going to be offering on parenting. You know, I found this to be true. People, for instance, who need help on their marriage, they don't show up at marriage class. People who really need some help raising their kids, they're too busy Sunday afternoon. You know who shows up at marriage class? People who want their relationship to go to the next level. You know who shows up at a parenting class? People are saying, you know what? I got good kids. I love my kids, but I want to be an even better dad or mom. I'm telling you, have, make room for connecting with people and taking it to the next level. Is this making sense? I'm being real practical today. This, this has not happened by osmosis. Four critical choices. We got to make these choices every day. But I, I, hey, I'm telling you this. I'm showing up. I'm going to go hard. I'm going to love long. I'm going to be committed to pastoring as long as Jesus has me, pastor. I'm going to love you whether you like it or not. I hope you love me back. Um, But I'm committed to doing that because at the end of the day, listen, I saw something really radical at my dad's funeral. I saw eight to ten hours of people pausing to say thank you to a man who loved them well for over 30 years. This boy ain't no dummy. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? To leave a legacy, you've got to be connected with people, and you've got to love people. We all need help. We all need to grow. Stand to your feet. I want to pray that the Lord gives us the help that we need. I also want to connect with you. As soon as I say amen, I'm going to sneak out. We're going to have our, our ministry team up here to pray for you. We know people came here with needs, but I want to meet some of our new families out there in the foyer. All right, Look for me. All the sign-ups for life groups, discipleship. Uh, classes, all that's going to be out there. But can we raise our hands just as a sign of surrender and say help to the Lord? Father, the things that you ask us to do, the way you ask us to love, are so far beyond our natural abilities. So we simply raise our hands in surrender and we just say, Lord, help us. Help us to love people well. Help us to love you well. Help us to be friends with God and friends with others. And Lord, empower us now by the power of your spirit. Empower us as we leave this place today, as we leave these four walls of this building and go out into the streets. Help us to be great lovers of Jesus and lovers of others so that the world would know that Jesus Christ is real. Lord, even there's people that need to be hearing what's coming out of this place. I pray that you allow us to touch people and connect with people this week uh, that are unchurched and unsaved. And Lord, we just pray for a great harvest as we love well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.